Sure, so I call this the busyness vortex, and it's really the clearest sign that you're stuck in, in busyness. Hurry is when our bodies begin to move really fast. We walk fast, we talk mm -hmm. fast, and what we're trying to do is get as much done in as little time as possible. We start driving fast and, you know, just everything, fast, 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 fast. But hurry actually leads to us having higher amounts of worry, so the faster we go, the more likely it is that fear is going to kick in and that we're going to start becoming nervous and worrisome about not getting everything done. And so we begin to worry. And then as we begin to worry, it causes our mind to go back and forth. So instead of being focused on the thing that's right in front of us, we're jumping back and forth between the hundred things that are in our mind. And I call that scurry. That's when your, your mind is like a little mouse and just kind of scurrying all over the place. Yo, Ryan Hartley here from Always Better Than Yesterday. Welcome to the interview sessions where I put my curious questions to inspiring and successful people about their heart and their mind. I have one simple goal, to help you be better in some way. These interview sessions are brought to you by our good friends at Web Creation. Head to webcreationgroup.com for stunning websites at sensible prices. Here we go, episode 96 with Dr. Garland Vance. Garland is an author, speaker, consultant. He co-founded Advanced Leadership to help overwhelmed influencers and organizations live with purpose, productivity, and peace. He is the author of Getting Unbusy, which Forbes named as one of the seven books everyone on your team should read. It is a fantastic book. Getting Unbusy is definitely something that I am in the process of learning myself. I really enjoy putting my curious questions to Garland. I hope that you enjoy the conversation. Please do share this with one person in your life that you care about that you think needs to hear what Garland shares. That's enough from me. Let's dive in. Episode 96 with Dr. Garland Vance. Much love. Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday interview sessions, Garland Vance. Welcome, my friend. So glad to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Amazing. Love to know a little bit more about you. Tell us a little bit more about who you are and, and a little bit about your story. Sure. So uh, Garland Vance, I live in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee and uh, in the United States and um, have the opportunity to uh, run my own uh, business. It's a leadership uh, consulting business where we focus on purpose, productivity, and peace uh, for leaders and get to run that with actually my wife and my kids mm -hmm. uh, help run it. So I have a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 10-year-old, and, and we're all kind of involved in the business uh, together. And, and so uh, really enjoying life. I love that. That's so cool. Talk to me because I can see just over your shoulder there, I have this copy of your book here, Getting Unbusy, Five Steps to Kill Busyness and Live with Purpose, Productivity and Peace. Um, before we dive into the book and, and the five steps, I want to know why you even write this book. Tell me a little bit about the story in the background of why this book came to be. Sure. So uh, back in 2013, 
I uh, started having all of these physical problems. Uh, I've always been kind of a high achiever, type A personality. Mm -hmm. And I started having all of these physical problems. And so I went to the doctor and said, you know, what's going on? I've got chronic migraine headaches and uh, extreme fatigue uh, and forgetfulness and I'm having heart palpitations. What's going on? Uh, and the doctor said, well, Garland, tell me a little bit about your life. And I said, oh, it's a good life. It's just really busy. And, and it, it was the same thing that I had heard hundreds and hundreds of other people say, whether they were college students or CEOs or stay-at-home parents. I just kept hearing over and over, I'm good. I'm just really busy. And I said the same thing. I'm good. I'm just busy. And he said, well, well, tell me what busy means. And so I started telling him about the uh, 50 to 60 hour work weeks where I was uh, working with a nonprofit at the time. I mm. uh, started telling him about getting my uh, doctorate in leadership and spending 10 to 20 hours a week doing that and having three kids at home and then being involved a little bit in the community and having uh, people over to our house multiple times per week and late nights and early mornings and, you know, helping our church get new programs started. And so I, I you know, I told him about all those things. And mm -hmm. I said, so, so like I said, you know, I, I'm doing well, I'm just really busy. And Ryan, that's when my doctor, as, as you read in the book, my doctor put his hand on my shoulder. He looked me in the eye and he said, Garland, I am concerned for your life because if you don't kill busyness, it's going to kill you. Mm. And it was a it was a huge wake up call for me, but it was also a huge wake up call for our our society really in general, because busyness is something that all of us brag about. We talk about it. We aspire to it. Um, you know, if you see a friend at a coffee shop and ask how they're doing, they're going to tell you, "Oh, I'm good. I'm just so busy." And I began to question some of the assumptions of is busyness as good as we think it is? Is it something mm -hmm. to aspire to? What is it actually doing to us physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, productively? Um, and as I dug into the research, it became really clear that busyness is kind of like the smoking of our generation. It's mm -hmm. something that, you know, smoking was something that everybody used to do. And then all these studies started coming out on how bad it was for us and we're doing the same thing to ourselves we're mm. bragging about busyness and and you know sucking in that addiction to busyness mm. and yet it's killing us and so why write a book about it because uh, i'm concerned for other people's lives as well yeah i heard recently if the devil can't make us bad he'll make us busy <laughs> exactly yeah keeps us so distracted great quote yeah. And um, uh, this isn't a question, but I, I'd, I'd like to share a bit that I really liked. And it's quite simple. It says purpose is knowing your why productivity is doing your why and peace is about resting in your why knowing that I can do anything I want, but I can't do it all at once. And I really liked that section of the book because I, I can really resonate to your story in terms of if you're service orientated and you're a giver, it's just that, oh, like I, I am not very good at saying no. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I find myself drawn into leadership positions where I just happen to take on more responsibility wherever I go. I've got ideas around how things could be better than yesterday. And, and just hearing you speak about your life, there was so much that I could resonate with in the last sort of 12 months for me. And yeah, just thank you for sharing that. And I think 
the one way that that can kind of manifest then is trying to do everything is this word and phrase of, of burnout. What, what, um, what, what's your um, perspective on, on burnout and what can, what can we do as, as leaders or as people in general to, to recognize first and foremost, the signs of burnout? Yeah. Yeah. So burnout has become a really popular topic. And, and right as the book was being published last year, the World Health Organization actually came out and said, uh, workplace burnout is an actual medical condition that mm. is doing significant damage to the workforce. And, and then, you know, COVID hits and this global pandemic hits. And I think for a lot of people, they expected burnout to begin to diminish but what's actually happened is, is work from home and longer work hours, less boundaries. So burnout has actually begun to increase in the, the last few, uh, few months. Um, so, mm. so burnout essentially has three stages that you, uh, that you go through. So the, the first is what's known as emotional exhaustion. And emotional exhaustion is kind of when, when you just look at yourself and you just I just don't have it. I don't have any energy left. I'm tired. I'm, I'm fatigued. I just don't, I can't do it anymore. So that's the first stage. And then your second stage is what's known as depersonalization. And that's when you actually begin to actively dislike the people who you care about the most. So you dislike your team members, you dislike your children, because you just don't have any emotional capacity to give to them. And then the final stage of burnout is what's known as um, the loss of personal accomplishment. And in this stage, you really begin to look at your life and no matter what you do, no matter you know, how many goals you accomplish, how far you push, you just look at your life and you're like, it's meaningless, I'm not doing anything, I'm just not getting anything done and you really feel pretty much like a, a colossal failure. Mm. And, and there's this massive connection in the research between busyness, uh, what I call an overcommitment to too many good commitments, uh, and mm. burnout. So busyness and burnout are very strongly related to each other. So when we have so many things to do, too many projects at home, too many projects at work, too many mm -hmm. things that we've said yes to, mm -hmm. then there is a high likelihood that that busyness is going to result in at least one of those three stages of burnout, if not more. So huge uh, correlation between those two. Mm -hmm. Earlier this year, I left policing and um in, in the book, you talk about the, in the organizational context of busyness and you talk about busy, busy cultures get busier. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those busy cultures have fear based cultures. And those were two things that I really resonated with being at the police was just there was this incessant drive and for, for continuous improvement to the point it just became, I wouldn't say toxic, but it was definitely unhealthy. I mean, I love improving things as good as anybody, but that was, it was intense. And, and secondly, um, because I was responsible for people, I would try and challenge back upwards and say, look, we're at max capacity. We need to either stop, change prioritization. And what was said back to me was that if you keep pushing back, you're going to come across like a problem. And it was at that point, I was just like, I can't win. Like, yeah. I am just cannon fodder. I'm either going to burn my team out or I'm going to become a problem. Like, and I'm, and I don't want to be either, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I just, yeah, it really resonated with me um, seeing that. And what are some of the, the ways in which leaders can then do the opposite and create healthier 
um, cultures? So I think for, you know, I work with a lot of organizations and teams, and I, I think for, for many leaders, the biggest challenge is saying no to their mm. own drive to be better. And I'm in full agreement with you. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't ask to be on the, the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast if I didn't believe in being always mm. better than yesterday. But sometimes we have so many ways that we want our organization and our teams to be better that we, we expect to get them all done yesterday. Mm. And then, mm. you know, we're in this catch-up culture, which is just hurry, worry, and scurry. <laughs> so I think leaders first need to learn how to say no to their own drive, not completely, but just to say, here's the 10 things that I wish mm. could be better, but here's the one that if we focus in on it for three months or six months, we'll make everything around us better and we'll, we'll lift the lid on, on everything. So, so being able to say that. And then the second is doing really the opposite of what you did uh, or what, not what you did of, of what you were told. And that's giving people the power to say, we're at capacity right now. And if mm -hmm. we continue to add more, there's going to be significant problems. Um, you know, for, for most people, uh, the, the organizational mentality is we should get 110% out of people. But, but the reality is mm -hmm. for most people, 80% uh, capacity is about max because there's going to be interruptions and emergencies that fill mm -hmm. up that remaining 20%. So for organizational leaders, a lot of times they really have to look at their people and go, okay, what does 80% capacity mm -hmm. look like? Mm -hmm. Because that's going to actually get us to 100% capacity. Mm. One of the things I picked up in your book was this default to know and defend your yes. What does that mean? Yeah, so uh, that's actually become, I think, one of the most popular topics in uh, getting unbusy. So busy people default to yes and defend to no. And that means mm. they default to yes. When somebody asks them to do something, they mm. automatically say yes without even thinking about it. You know, it's just like, mm. you know, will you do this? Yes. And then their brain kicks in and they're like, oh, I should have uh, slowed down a little bit. Mm. So, so busy people default to yes. And then if they can't do something, they start defending their no. Well, you know, I can't do it um, because I have a commitment already at that time, or I'm just really busy. Well, as soon as you start defending your no, somebody can come in there and start shooting down those defenses to finally wear mm. you down mm. to, to where you say, okay, I'll, I'll do it. What highly productive but unbusy people do is they flip it and they default to no. Mm -hmm. That becomes their automatic response, even to themselves. I could do this. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. Or somebody comes and says, hey, I've got another project. Could you take that on? No, I'm probably not going to do that. And even if they're not saying it, that's kind of what they're thinking is, no, I'm not going to do that. And then they begin defending their yes. If they say yes, it's because they've thought mm. about it. They've uh, taken time to consider it. Um, in fact, a lot of times I'll say, hey, give me 24 hours to think about that, and then I'll get back to you. Um, they, they're careful with it, and they think about the ramifications. You know, there's no project that you take on that doesn't have this ripple effect uh, to it. You know, I, I started uh, doing – we have a deck on our uh, – you know, the back of our house and my dad and I started doing some deconstruction of a few boards and I said to him hey this is probably going to take two hours 
Well, six hours later, we're still working on it. And it's finally at that point that I was like, I need to default to no at this mm. point. I got to call mm. somebody who can actually, who actually knows what they're doing. <laughs> but between the trips to the store and, and, you know, all the things that we didn't know how to do, it took three times longer than we expected it. So you really got to think in terms of how do I think through the yes mm. before I say yes? Mm. I've really started to practice default to know and defend your yes. Unfortunately for my wife, I'm more confident at doing that at home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just need to practice that more in the real world. But um, you, you talk about you talked a minute ago about hurry, worry, and scurry. I, I just I love that imagery. Bring that to life for us. Sure. So I call this the busyness vortex, and it's really the the clearest sign that you're stuck in in busyness. So hurry is when our bodies begin to move really fast. We walk fast, we talk mm. fast. And what we're trying to do is get as much done in as little time as possible. So we start driving fast and, you know, just everything fast, 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 fast. So that's hurry. But hurry actually leads to us having higher amounts of worry. So the faster we go, the more likely it is that fear is going to kick in and that we're going to start becoming nervous and worrisome about not getting everything done. And so we begin to worry. And then as we begin to worry, it causes our mind to go back and forth. So instead of being focused on the thing that's right in front of us, we're jumping back and forth between the hundred things that are in our mind. And I call that scurry. That's when your, your mind is like a little mouse and just kind of scurrying mm. all over the place. And what hurry, worry, and scurry do is they increase each other. If I allow one into my life, it's going to allow the others into my life. And all of that sucks us in to busyness because we don't have the, the mental and the emotional capacity to say no, to default to no, mm, to defend mm. our yes, to do quality work. And so we end up having to do things over and over and over again, which makes us busier. So yeah, busyness vortex that really sucks you in. And the biggest characteristic or the biggest way to know if you're busy is to look at your hurry, worry, and scurry. Mm, love that. So your doctor says to you, if you don't kill your busyness, it will kill you. And then in this book, you've created five steps to kill busyness. Talk us through those, that framework, those five steps. Sure. So, you know, a little bit of background to this, as I was doing my doctoral research on this topic, I kept coming across all of these books that would say, busyness is bad. Hmm. You should stop it. And that was where it ended. You know, they didn't actually <laughs> give a framework. Right. I appreciate that. Right. <laughs> and um, so, so for me, I knew that I needed to create a framework for my own life to be able to move from this, this chaos to purpose, productivity, and peace. Mm. Um, but I also wanted to create a framework for other people. And so what I discovered in all of the, the research and the books and the implementing, you know, in my own life and starting to work with other people was, yeah, there are five steps. And so the first is you have to decide to get unbusy. And the second is you begin to deconstruct some inhibiting beliefs and bad habits and unwanted commitments that keep sucking you in mm -hmm. to busyness. So there's this deconstruction phase that you go through. Then the third step is you decide. You decide what's the, the pace, uh, sorry, not decide, you design. You design the pace and the space that you want to live in. And you mm. design your life around what I call the core four. 
uh, which are the, the four best practices of highly productive, unbusy people. And that's they build time for relationships, recreation, rest, and reflection. So once you've designed that life, then you mm. move into step four, which is develop. And so develop is when you actually begin to put that design into your calendar and put it into mm. your habits and even into your mind. You've really got to shape your mind. And then finally, the fifth step is you draw others in. It's all about getting your family and your friends and your coworkers involved in an unbusy life because nobody wants mm -hmm. to live an unbusy life where they're completely isolated from everybody else who's busy. This is about relationships and about priorities, what's most important in your life. And that's what happens when people get unbusy is they get more and more time for their big dreams and their high priorities. Yeah. I love that. Thanks for taking us through that. And, and I know that, um, through seeing some of your LinkedIn profile, you've been heavily active within the church as well and, and um, using your leadership expertise to support and develop leaders within the church. How present and prevalent was Sabbath uh, during your time? I know it's something you talk about in the book. I'm just curious to, to look at some of the practices that maybe you had to kind of reflect on and, and uh, prioritize. Yeah, so Sabbath began to, so I spent 15 years in the nonprofit world, uh, mm. but it was the, the Christian nonprofit world. And then um, a few more years after that, uh, working directly in a church. And, um, and for me, Sabbath, uh, which is, you know, a 24 hour period of doing no work. And what is work? It's anything you don't enjoy doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anything you don't, that's, that's how I describe it. So I, I hate checking email. So I don't check email on Sabbath. I hate mowing the lawn. I don't mow the lawn on the Sabbath. Um, but when I started working at church, everybody else's Sabbath was my work day. And so mm -hmm. my family had to create some new rhythms. Um, and we've actually kept a lot of these rhythms, even in, in starting our own business. Um, so Fridays became Sabbath. Uh, for for us and my kids would go to school my wife and I would have a date mm. that day and then our kids would come home and we would rest and relax and then Saturday and Sunday became days that we did work around the home and, and work in the church um, and we've actually maintained that rhythm even in starting our own business I, I take most Fridays off as mm. my Sabbath and then tend to work on a little bit on Saturdays and a little bit on Sundays, but Fridays are my main day where I, I rest and rejuvenate and just step mm. away from all kinds of work. I love that. What were some of the other things that you discovered in your own um, process of getting unbusy? Yeah, I think one of the things that I discovered is, um, you know, there's a big emphasis right now on morning routines mm. and the way that you start your day is really, really important. And, and the tendency of, of most writing that I see is almost like you should, you should wake up and immediately start doing work and, you know, just get really productive as soon as you possibly can. But for me, I'm a morning person, but I discovered that the way I start my day affects the entire rest of the day. So I chose and, and still do, to begin my mornings first with peace mm. and getting my mind and my heart to a place of contentment and joy. And once that happens, then I'm ready to go into the productive part of the day. And my mind is a lot clearer and I actually accomplish a whole lot more in a mm. lot less time because 
I don't have the hurry, worry, scurry vortex mm-hmm. that that's going on. I'm at a place of peace. So that was one of the big ahas is, you know, your morning isn't about your, your morning routine isn't about productivity. It's mm. first about peace. I love that because um, I've never been a, a, a uh, I've never been actively encouraging others to have a morning routine that is fixed, you know, right. miracle morning that there's very, and I like what you said about uh, it being a buffet. What do you mean by it's like a morning buffet? Yes. So I, I am not disciplined enough to have a fixed morning routine in which I do the same things over and over and over again. So what I did is I started to create this buffet and this is what I really encourage people to do. Mm. And a buffet means you pick five to 10 activities that bring you peace that you love to do. And then when you wake up in the morning, depending on how much time you have and how you're feeling, those you pick and choose from the buffet. So my buffet is, um, you know, if I can't, I won't tell you all of them, but you know, let's say I've got four (laughs) or five things on the buffet. So there's going to be prayer. There's going to be reading that goes on there. uh, Mindfulness or meditation, journaling, you know, those are some of those. Well, if I wake up and I've only got five minutes to spare, I'm not going to be able to do all of those but I can, I can pray or I can have a, a mindfulness experience for a few minutes that helps yeah. me calm down. Or if I wake up really early and I've got a couple of hours before I need to get going, then my buffet can expand and I can enjoy a lot more of those. Mm. So I, for most people, what I've found is they put so much pressure on themselves mm. to do this very precise morning routine and it yep. just drains the life and the mm. enjoyment out of the experience. So yep. yeah, build a buffet and then pick your buffet every day. And it's always going to be accompanied with a good coffee, right? Always, always a good coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. One of the things you said about in the reflection, creating time for reflection, but in the book you used this word that I really liked and it was reflect and preflect. Tell me what the latter means. Yes. So preflection um, is about looking forward. I, I think a lot of times, especially for, for leaders and for people who are highly driven, we downplay the importance of reflecting, of looking back. Mm. But no matter what team, you know, if you look at great teams, if you look at great organizations, they're always looking back so they can learn from their successes and their failures Mm -hmm. and they can make changes. So I put those two together because reflection is really about looking back to say, what did I do well? What did I not do well? What am I grateful for? What Mm -hmm. would I do differently? And preflection is then the planning process where you take that knowledge and say, okay, in the next week, in the next month, in the next Mm -hmm. quarter, what am I going to do differently? And how am I going to arrange my life and my time so that I can accomplish the things that are most important to me? Yeah, love that. You use the phrase um, squirrel brain. I mean, I love a squirrel. Like, I've often said that a squirrel is my spirit animal because I've never seen a sad squirrel. They always look happy. But what did you mean by using that phrase squirrel brain? Yeah, so there, there's, this, um, there's this movie, a Disney movie called Up. And uh, having, uh, you know, my kids are a little <laughs> bit older now, but when Up came out, my kids watched it, I swear, hundreds of times. Mm. 
but there's these dogs who are in the movie and what always gets them distracted is they think they see a squirrel so they're on a mission and then they'll they'll go squirrel and you know they go they crash a plane or squirrel 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 and and that's what distracts them so often from doing what their their master's mission is and i think for so many of us because of this hurry worry and scurry we've got this squirrel brain where we're constantly chasing distractions that seem really important in the moment, but mm-hmm. that actually take us off course from what really is most important to us. And so squirrel brain is, is, is <laughs> trying to, to say, hey, there's a way that you can actually tame your mind a little bit when you, when you begin to write things down. You know, when you have an idea, you don't need to act on it right there. Just write it down and then process it uh, a little bit later and learn to get control of your mind and to unbusy mm. your mind. And you're actually going to unbusy your entire life. Yeah. You and I both share this idea that when leaders get better, kind of we all get better, whether that be in our families, our communities, our teams, if uh, and, and there are leaders listening to this right now, what is the best thing that they could do as a call to action as a result of listening to this conversation between you and I? Yeah, so, uh, so uh, well, the best thing they could do is buy the book, hire me to come into their organization, all of those yep. things. That's, yes, yes, shameless plug. Um, <laughs> no, I, I tell you what, if um, I, I actually think the best thing that people can do is go to gettingunbusybook.com and you can take an assessment there that is uh, the 20 best practices of highly productive, unbusy people. And it just mm-hmm. scores you on how mm-hmm. busy you are. And it will show you, are you, you know, uh, what I would call a busyness addict? And if you are, if you're a leader and you're a busyness addict, you're making your entire team and your entire organization busyness addicts as well. Or mm-hmm. are you overwhelmed or, you know, so it takes you on the spectrum of, of where you can be. But I really think that's a lot of times the best thing that a leader can do so they can see themselves compared to the best practices of highly productive, unbusy people. Yeah. And here's the thing. There's, there's no shame in, in taking that because I, I've been quite open through this. You know, I was, I was there on a, and, and there are still tendencies there are still tendencies, I, I guess, being a high performer when sometimes when you when you love your work and sometimes our work is never done. If you if you work with purpose and a mission, sometimes that work is never done. So being able to pick up the book and learn some good strategies and practices is going to help keep off the burnout, keep showing up on, on the longer term. So absolutely go yeah. and get Garland's book. Um, how can people connect with you? How can they find out more about what you do? Yeah, so uh, feel free to email me. You can reach me at garland at advanceleadership.live. So advance doesn't have a D on it. My last name is Vance, so advanced leadership. I'd love to hear from you uh, if you want to email me, or you can go to our website, advanceleadership.live, to find out mm-hmm. some of our offerings and just to see some of the things that we're posting pretty regularly about, uh, about busyness and burnout and productivity. I think those are, those are great ways to get in contact with us. Love that. My ethos is about helping people be better than yesterday. I'm curious to know what that phrase means to you. Yeah, I love this question. And so I would say being always better than yesterday is about incremental improvement. And and for me, it's really about a, a word that I love and it's stewardship. 
Now, I think a lot of times people think that stewardship is all about money, right? You should steward your money. But, but the roots of stewardship actually means to draw out hidden potential in something. And to me, I am a steward of myself first and foremost. And I want to draw out whatever hidden potential is in me, which means I'm going to be always better than yesterday. I love that. I love that. Great answer. Um, thank you for your time, your energy, your story, your book. And, and I'd just love for you to leave us with a final thought from your good self. Yeah. Well, Ryan, first, thanks for, for having me here. It's, it is uh, such a treat to spend time uh, with you. Um, I, I would say that especially for those leaders who are listening, it's actually possible for you your team and your organization to accomplish so much more when you learn to do much less. It gives you greater focus. It maximizes your time and your energy. So I, a lot of times I hear leaders and they'll say, you know, I, I can't tell my people to be less busy. We've got too much to do. Mm. And the reality is you can actually accomplish so much more when you begin to do less as an individual and as an organization. I love that. Be sure to go check out Garland and his website uh, to find out how you can do more, do less. <laughs> <laughs> you said it far better than I. And on that note, much love. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much. There we go, episode 96 with Garland Vance. As I like to do at the end of all the interviews, is just reflect on some of the key things that, that came out for me. I think it's a really powerful thing, the doctor saying, if you don't kill busyness, it's going to kill you. I think that's that's a really powerful statement. And the other thing that um, I liked was this notion of hurry, worry, and scurry. Those words really bring to life what it really feels in our body. And... Um, Beginning the day with a morning buffet, that's definitely something I've taken away um, since this conversation with, with Garland. It's, uh, again, I don't believe morning routines are, are rigid things and, and, and morning buffet brings that concept to life beautifully. And lastly, squirrel brain. Like I do love a good Disney metaphor and, and squirrel brain is something that I, I'm sure a number of us will suffer with even if like our, our social media and our phones are built to distract us, you know, that that is um, it's a really powerful thing to connect with this, this sense of squirrel brain and, and replacing that with attention and conscious attention. I hope the podcast has served you well. Thank you so much for making it to the very, very end. I really appreciate you. Go and connect with Garland. Uh, and if there's anything I can help you with, drop me a message, drop me a WhatsApp. I am, and I will be back next week with another inspiring heart and mind that I hope will help you in some way. I'll speak to you again soon. Much love, guys. Mm -hmm.